Philippians 4, 10 to 23. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who strengthens me. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I sat, set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, Uni Church. Uh, if you haven't met me, my name is Mike. I'm one of the ministers here at St. Matt's. I think it's my first time here this year. Normally, I'm at one of the morning congregations, Uni Church International, which is like you guys, but it's more kind of international students. Uh, really, really great to be with you uh, tonight. Uh, we've been preaching through the book of Philippians this semester, and we just read the final passage. And I'm sure you've probably already worked out that in this closing section, what Paul is doing is thanking the Philippian church for their financial partnership of him. Uh, They've been giving money so that he can travel around the Mediterranean and plant churches and introduce Jesus to people. And so tonight, we are looking at the topic of financial giving. If you're new to UniChurch, if this is the first time you've turned up at UniChurch tonight and you you might think, oh man, I went to this church for the first time and the pastor there, he just talked about financial giving uh, for 30 minutes, is this a thing they always do? Uh, Let me just say, no. Uh, Sure, there are some churches where this topic seems to be of keen interest and it's spoken of a lot, which is perhaps a bit of a problem, but I don't think that's our problem. Uh, I've been a minister here at St. Matt's for four years, never actually preached on this topic. Uh, As we go through God's Word in Scriptures, it hasn't come up for me in the last four years, but it comes up tonight as we hit this last passage of uh, Philippians, which is going to be fantastic because I think we have the opposite problem. Certainly in my congregation, we haven't talked about it enough, in fact, we haven't talked about it at all in four years, and we need to. Because I think we all get in this room that part of being a Christian is bringing our life under the Lordship of Jesus. Uh, We get that we're supposed to bring our sex life, our thought life, our work life under the Lordship of Jesus, but that also includes our financial life. And so tonight, as we come to a passage which talks about it, uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to think hard from God's Word about financial giving to the Gospel. Now, I know that uh, we're pretty much all students here, and so immediately you might be thinking, well... 
I'll worry about this if and when I ever graduate and get a job. Uh, No, there's actually some really, really important stuff here for you if you're a student. So as we unpack this tonight, I'm quite excited. Please stick with it. There is great stuff here for us as Christians, even if we're students. Let's pray and we're going to get into it. Heavenly Father, we do pray now that as we uh, close off the book of Philippians, in your kindness to us, you might quieten our minds and hearts, in your mercy to us, by the work of your Spirit, you might give us understanding into this passage in our heads and give us soft hearts to see uh, what it means for our life and the way we live. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to start by asking you, have you seen this board game? Uh, It's called the Singaporean Dream. There's lots of international students in my congregation that play this. Uh, The goal of this board game is to live the perfect Singaporean life by Singaporean cultural standards, right? Many of the achievements that you can do in the game revolve around money and what you can do with it. So you can get your flat, uh, you get your promotion, you can become the CEO of a company, you can buy a branded bag... Uh, The thing about this game is, it's called the Singaporean Dream, but I reckon, having played it, you could actually just rebrand it, the Australian Dream. And although there'd be some kind of cultural things in this game that we'd need to change for Aussies, much of the game would be really similar when it comes to our dreams about money. Many of the financial achievements in this game are kind of the same dreams that Aussies have. The house, the car, the retirement... Now, this is a really interesting game because what it does, I think, is it holds up a mirror to our culture and shows us what we dream to do with money. It's like a mirror that shows us what our money dreams are. In our Bible reading, I think we actually just read the Philippian version of this game. We read the Philippian version of the Singapore dream. Uh, We read about what the Philippians dream to do with money and one of their money dreams is to give it away. One of their money dreams is to give it to Paul so that he can go around and spend his time preaching the gospel. Uh, But they haven't had the opportunity to do that for a few years. The Philippian church was one of Paul's first partnering churches but they haven't been able to financially partner with him for a few years even though uh, they've wanted to. And so, look at how uh, Paul starts. Verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me, meaning you sent me money and finances again. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, that seems a bit strange to us because today we have lots of opportunity to partner in the gospel with someone, no matter where they are in the world. So, uh, if you want to partner with Jill in the Middle East or if you want to partner with Marty and Jenny as they head for Singapore uh, later this year, it's really easy. You just find their bank details and just on your phone you can send them uh, money. But the Philippians, they couldn't do that kind of thing with Paul. They had to physically get a bag of money and they had to physically travel by foot or by donkey or by boat and go and find Paul and actually give him the money. And that journey to find him, that could take weeks, maybe even a month. Plus, really hard to know where he was. 
uh, because Paul travelled all over the Mediterranean. Here's a map of his missionary journeys. The white line is his first missionary uh, journey, the yellow is his second, the blue is his third, and the red one is his fourth. So it's kind of hard to know where he is if you're planning on getting someone to go and travel to him and give him money and finances. And the Philippian church, they can't just text him and say, bro, where are you? I've got something for you. They had to rely on letters being sent forward and then sent back and that could take weeks and maybe even months and maybe he's moved in that time. And so for a few years now, or for a while, the Philippian church, they've wanted to financially partner with him, but they haven't had the opportunity until now. Because now they know where he is. Because if you've been journeying with us through Philippians, you would know that Paul is over here. He's in Rome and he's in prison, he's chained, so he's not moving anywhere, so they know where he is. And the Philippian church, well, they're over here, and so they know where Paul is now, and they pounce on that opportunity. They know where he is, and so they send Epaphroditus to Rome with materials to support Paul in his gospel ministry. And as Paul sees Epaphroditus coming into the jail with materials from Philippi to aid the gospel work, he bursts into joy and he says in that opening verse, I greatly rejoice in the Lord now that you have renewed your concern. But it's not the money that makes Paul rejoice. In fact, Paul almost doesn't really care about getting the money. Have a look at what he says in the next verse, look at verse 11 with me. He says, I'm not saying this, meaning I'm not saying that I rejoice that you've remembered me and sent me money, because I'm in need, for I've learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul is not rejoicing because now he has the money to buy stuff that he needs. Paul actually doesn't mind being in need. He's learnt the secret of being content in whatever circumstance he has. And Paul has had some pretty needy circumstances. In one of his letters, Paul describes his life in these words. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we're in rags we are brutally treated and we are homeless. Hashtag not winning at life. That's Paul's life and so when he says here in Philippians that I've learnt the secret of being content in any situation, whether living in plenty or living in want, he really knows what it is to live in want. Now my first gut reaction here is to just sort of be amazed that Paul can be content in such want But I think it's equally amazing that Paul can be content when he has plenty. See, we tend to think it's pretty easy to be content when you have plenty, when you've got lots of stuff, right? But no, that tends to not be how it goes. People pay off their houses only to be discontent with the suburb that they now live in. We get pay rises only then to focus on the next one that we haven't got yet. If you don't believe me about this, uh, just take a day off sometime this week, go into Perth City and just randomly start asking uh, people in suits and well-paid executives, are you content with your pay? Uh, Not many people are going to say yes. It is strangely difficult to be content even when we have plenty. 
J.D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men in uh, history, was once asked this question, how much money is enough? And he famously replied, just a little bit more. Contentment is very elusive, even when we have plenty. But not for Paul. Paul in his rags has something that J.D. Rockefeller never had. Contentment, whether he was in need or whether he had plenty. The verse 10 to 13 opens with Paul's contentment in his material stuff. But how does he do it? it? Like, if it's so hard, how does Paul do it? Well, notice that Paul said he learnt the secret to it. So, in verse 12, he said, I have learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or what. Uh, so, what's his secret? What's the secret to being content? I want to know. J.D. Rockefeller, he would want to know. What's the secret? The secret is the next verse. Look at verse 13. I can do all this through Him, that's Christ, who gives me strength. Christ is the secret to Paul's contentment. As Paul looks at his life, which includes uh, times of being in need and times of having plenty, he says, I can be in both. I can be content in both. I can be content in all circumstances through Christ who gives me strength. So, Paul is content whether he has a little or whether he has a lot, because in both situations he has Christ who strengthens him to be content with whatever he has. So, when he's hungry and he has little food, he still has Jesus and so he's content. On the other hand, when Paul has plenty, he doesn't feel like he needs more because he has Jesus. And so he feels content and Jesus is at work in him to make him content. Contentment actually doesn't come naturally to Paul, which is surprising. I think of Paul as this kind of super spiritual guy who just kind of breezes into some sort of contentment. Not so. He actually needs Jesus to be at work in him. And as Paul goes around sometimes fed and clothed and warm, but at other times homeless in rags and tired and hungry, I imagine that it would take the power of Jesus at work in him to make him content. Honestly, it does not take much power to make me discontent. Uh, you, could, you could do it tonight, just in 30 seconds after we finish in here. You could come up to me and just show me your iPhone that is newer than my five-year-old iPhone. You could tell me about your car that has working electric windows and doesn't smell like Domino's pizza. It actually doesn't take a lot to get me to feel discontent, but it takes the power of Jesus to do the opposite. It takes Jesus at work in me to make me content. See, it's Christ that is the source of Paul's contentment. Uh, Now, this verse, it has a very long history of being misunderstood by Christians like us. Uh, Other translations or earlier translations of the NIV, which we read tonight, uh, which we might have memory verses of, put it like this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, By all things, that is not saying that we can expect to literally do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Like if I went to the gym with you uh, tomorrow and we loaded up the squat rack with 250 kilos and we strapped me in and I said, just before you release the weights, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and we release the weights, I would die. 
and Evan would have to hire a new pastor. (laughs) Or if tonight when we got here, our musicians and uh, singers uh, got sick. Now, I can't sing and I've never played an instrument, but if I said, hey, don't worry, I'm here, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I will play the guitar and sing, you would die and then Jeff would need a new congregation. Let me put it this way. Achieving great feats of physical endurance, achieving career advancement and academic accomplishment, it is not what that verse is about. It's about achieving contentment, whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. Let's talk about this guy. This is Evander Holyfield. I know the photo's not very good, it's much clearer on this uh, screen, but that's Evander Holyfield... Uh, world heavyweight boxing champ, famously used to print, I think you can see it, yeah you can, he famously used to print Philippians 4.13 on his boxing robe and on his shorts to remind himself that he had Jesus in his corner and that he could win. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, including smacking Mike Tyson down in the 11th round. That is not what this verse is about and I have been too scared to tell him. This verse is not about Christ empowering His people to be champions. This verse is about Christ empowering His people to be content in all situations, whether we have little or whether we have lot. And if your heart is anything like my heart, then you might just need the power of Jesus to make you content. You know, Evander Holyfield earned 350 million bucks in his boxing career. 350 million, talk about living in plenty, right? Do you know he lost it all? Uh, Through gambling losses and some business misadventures, through lawsuits and through lavish living, he filed for bankruptcy in 2012, from 350 million to bankrupt. And when I read that, I had to wonder, now does he finally understand what Philippians 4.13 is actually about? That verse that he has emblazoned on his robe, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is Paul talking about how Christ strengthens him in all circumstances to be content, whether he has a little or whether he has a lot. That's what that verse is about. So let me ask you, how's your contentment level? Do you experience contentment through Jesus? Am I more like Paul who would say, I've learnt the secret of being content in every circumstance? Or am I more like J.D. Rockefeller who would say, I'll be content when I have just a little bit more? The better suburb, the nicer house, the better career, I reckon I'll be content then. The newer car, the flashier phone the newer clothes, I reckon I'll be content then. For those of us who have Christ, our contentment is now. We have the best thing the universe offers us now and He is at work in His people to strengthen them to be content whether they have little or whether they have a lot. So let me ask, is there some gnawing discontent that Jesus is yet to soothe for you? How would you finish this sentence? I would be content if I had what? 
unless you finish that sentence by saying Jesus, it won't make you content. J.D. Rockefeller knew it, every advertising company on the planet knows it and the Apostle Paul knew it too. Uh, You know, discontentment, that is a horrible way to live your life, it really is. That constant feeling of discontentment, of never being satisfied, of never quite being fulfilled and settled, that is a genuinely horrible way to go through life. Discontentment will rob you of your joy, it will turn gratefulness to grumbling and it will hollow out your happiness. We have 40 kids in my church at uh, at UCI, I have never heard one of them say, I really want to grow up to be discontent. But growing up to be discontent is what happens to a world that keeps saying to itself, just a little bit more and then I'll be happy. Discontentment is an unhappy, an unhappy life. But contentment, oh now that is a gift from Jesus. Contentment, it fuels joy, it feeds gratitude. The content person sleeps really well at night and they suffer no FOMO by day. And for Christians, our contentment comes now through Jesus. Our contentment comes from knowing we have the greatest treasure the universe has to offer. And it comes from Jesus being at work in us to strengthen us, to feel content, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. And that is a happy life. Contentment is a happy, happy life. And that's what we see in the opening verses, verse 10 to 13, we see Paul's content life. And it gets better for us. Because contentment doesn't just create a happy life, contentment also creates a generous life. Now, that's what we see in verse 14 to 20, we see the Philippians' generous life. Just pick it up with me in your Bibles from verse 14. Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, meaning to financially send me aid. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with, uh, your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. When Paul first came to the city of Philippi in the book of Acts, he preached the gospel, they heard about the forgiveness of Jesus, they believed it, they loved it and the Philippian church was formed. And ever since those first days, the Philippian church loved to financially give to Paul so that he could tell others the gospel. To enable him to travel all around the Mediterranean world, telling people of the gospel, bringing more people into the kingdom to God's glory. And so when Paul left Philippi and went just down the road to the near city of Thessalonica, uh, they didn't say to Paul, hey, thanks very much for giving us the gospel, good luck with the rest of your journey. No, they sent Paul finances and materials so he could preach the gospel in the neighbouring cities of Thessalonica, so that people there might hear the gospel and be saved. And that's why Paul said uh, in verse 16, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent aid more than once when I was in need. But eventually Paul left that city, in fact he left the whole region of Macedonia and he went to some far-off region but the Philippian church also, they again financially partnered with him which is why Paul also says, when I set out from Macedonia, when I left that whole region that you live in, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you did. 
And now, after having lost track of Paul for some amount of time, Paul's popped up in a Roman prison and the Philippians pounce. They gather up money, they give it to Epaphroditus, he gets moving, he travels all the way to Rome to give him finances so that he and his ministry team might keep preaching and expanding the gospel. They are such an example of generosity. But why? Like, don't they have other things to spend their money on? Like bills to pay, education to provide for their their kids, rent to pay, food and all of that kind of stuff? Why then do they partner with the Gospel? Uh, That's a good question for us to wrestle with and verse 17 to 19, Paul gives four reasons why the Philippians are doing it. This is really good for us to recognise. The first reason the Philippians are giving financially is that their financial giving, it's actually credited to them, not Paul. It enriches them as the giver, not Paul as the receiver. Look at verse 17. Uh, Paul says, Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. So Paul doesn't actually desire their financial gifts. Why? Because Paul's content whether he has a little or whether he has a lot. What Paul desires is that more be credited to their account to the Philippians' account. What account is he talking about? He's talking about their spiritual account. They don't literally have a spiritual account. Paul is using financial language to talk about their spiritual growth, right? So, as the Philippians give to the work of the Gospel, they grow as Christians. They mature as they practice generosity. They grow in their Christ-likeness in humility, as they consider others above themselves, they store up for themselves treasures in heaven for when the Lord Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servants. Can you see that as they financially give to the work of the Gospel, they benefit actually more than Paul? Uh, Let me give you an illustration. Um, The illustration is not me having a drink. Now, the illustration is that years ago, my wife and I, uh, we were preparing to go overseas as missionaries. In the 12 months leading up to going overseas, we had all sorts of like expenses that we had to spend money on. We had to buy plane tickets to travel to Melbourne to do missionary training with the organisation we were with. There was like $1,000 worth of vaccinations for us and the kids. There were all sorts of things that we had to buy just to leave the country, to go over and start our lives as missionaries. And a friend once asked me, who's paying for this? And I said, oh, well, we are, we're just using savings or whatever. And he said, oh, I'd love to help uh, buy some of this stuff to help get you overseas. And I said, oh, no, no, that's okay, we've planned for this, we don't, we don't need uh, your help. And he said, no, no, I really want to, I really want to support you getting you overseas to share the gospel. And I said, no, no, we, we've got it, it's, it's okay. And the conversation kind of went on like that for a while until he got really frustrated and in frustration he said something that I found really confronting and in 10 years I've never forgotten it. In his frustration he said, Mike, why are you robbing me? Why are you robbing me of the opportunity to give to the advance of the gospel overseas? I thought, I didn't consider I was robbing you, I thought I was sparing you. I hadn't really considered that I was robbing him of the opportunity to credit his spiritual account, to kind of grow in his gospel giving. But that is why Paul says to the Philippians, I actually don't desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. 
As we financially give to the work of the gospel, we spiritually gain. We grow in our maturity, we grow in our Christ-likeness, we increase in our self-sacrificial generosity and we gain praise from the Father. Uh, So the the first reason why the Philippians uh, should be giving is that their generosity, it's actually credited to them. They benefit more than Paul. And secondly, the Philippians' financial giving, it supplies gospel workers with what they need to take the gospel to others. Look at the first bit of verse 18 with me. Verse 18, Paul says, I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Did you see the result of their financial gift? Paul says the result of their financial gift is that he has more than enough and he's amply supplied. But more than enough for what? Amply supplied for what? Well, he means he has more than enough. He's amply supplied for doing the work of the gospel. He has more than enough for all the costs associated with him and his team travelling around the Mediterranean to advance the gospel. He has more than enough to pay for food and for rent and for donkey hire and whatever else you need in the first century to travel around and to share the gospel and to plant churches. That's what financial giving does. Financial giving supplies gospel workers with what they physically need to take the gospel out to the world. You do get, right, that if St. Matthew's as a church stopped giving to St. Matt's, we would not be amply supplied, we would not have enough for taking the Gospel out. Uh, Every month, uh, we, uh, in the the newsletter, um, I don't know if you guys get it, but every month um, we publish where our budget is up to. Uh, What's, you know, the difference between our giving and what we're actually spending. If you get that, you might have noticed that in the last three months we've been behind. Uh, Uh, our ministry expenses have not been covered by the money coming in. Uh, Now, I'm not particularly panicked about that, but, you know, we should be conscious that if that kind of thing continues, it means that ministry here is not amply supplied. If that goes on, pastors have to either be let go or ministry has to be pulled back. That's just the reality. If we don't financially supply gospel workers with what they need to take the gospel out, that ministry actually stops. Which is why giving to the work of the gospel is not donating. It's not even supporting. It's partnering. It's so closely related to the ministry that Paul doesn't call the Philippians donors. He doesn't call them supporters. Have you noticed all the way through over the last few weeks he calls them partners? So, if you're giving to Jill and her work in the Middle East, you are not a financial donor you are a ministry partner. You're one of Jill's team members, you're one of her co-workers. Your work on her team is making sure she is amply supplied for the work of the gospel. And so, for every Muslim that she cares for, every Muslim that she shares the gospel with, you did that too. That's the ministry of the team that you're a partner in. If you're financially giving to the work of the gospel here at St. Matthew's, then for every person here that grows in their gospel understanding or becomes a Christian for the first time, that is the fruit of your ministry. You did that. You are a partner, a co-worker on that team. 
I do hope you are financially partnering uh, with St. Matthew's, uh, the church which feeds you and which grows you. Financially partnering in the ministry that looks after you, that grows you in the Lord, should be your first thought when it comes to giving to the work of the Gospel. Well, the way that Paul puts it in this uh, passage is, financially giving supplies Gospel workers with what they physically need to advance the Gospel and to grow Christians. So, why do do the the Philippians financially give? Well, number one, it's credited to them. Uh, Number two, it supplies Gospel workers with what they need to take the Gospel out. And number three, it pleases God. Look at the last bit of verse 18. They, meaning the financial gifts of the Philippians, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So, do you notice that the Philippians' financial giving to Paul, it's not just a horizontal matter between Paul and the Philippians. When the Philippians give to the advance of the Gospel, the Philippians are offering it to God. It's a sacrifice to God. As you financially partner in the work of the Gospel, you are not simply giving to people for the Gospel to go forth, you are giving to God Himself and it's pleasing to Him. So, number one, it's uh, credited to them. Number two, it supplies Gospel workers with what they need. Number three, it pleases God. And number four, it is safe. It is safe to generously give to the Gospel. Look at verse 19, it's so nice. Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Money is one of those things that we have in the world that can actually make us feel secure and safe. And so, giving money away generously to some cause can feel like you're giving away your future safety, your security the thing which you need to know that you will be safe in the future. But it's safe for Christians to financially, generously give to the Gospel because we have a Father in Heaven who loves to give us what we need. See, it's not just contentment like Paul had that enables the Philippians to give generously, it's also confidence. It's confidence that they have a Heavenly Father who loves to give them what they need let me give you an illustration. No. <laughs> uh, some years ago, uh, I really badly damaged uh, my spine and the result of that was I couldn't work for two years. I was unemployed for two years, so was my wife because she had to full-time care for me as well as the kids uh, that we had. So, two years we were unemployed with two kids. Man, they were hard times but God still provided. In two years of not having a job, God met all of our needs uh, through different and sometimes difficult means. In fact, during that period, we even still managed to financially give to the work of the Gospel, admittedly much, much, much smaller uh, than we'd ever had before, but we were still able to give in small ways and God met all of our needs, just as He said He would. See, it's safe to give generously to the Gospel when you have a Heavenly Father who loves to give you what you need. Which brings us to an interesting point, because most of us in this room don't have paid jobs, right? Most of us are students and so your temptation tonight might be to look at this and to think, ah, this doesn't really apply to me yet, you know, if I ever get around to graduating and getting a job, well, then it will apply to me and, you know, then I'll think about uh, this passage but right now this doesn't apply to me. Really? 
let me just ask one question. What's, which of this stuff on screen from Philippians 4 is not true for you if you're a student? Which of this stuff on screen is not true if you're a student? Uh, let's think about that first point, Paul's contentment in Jesus. Uh, Paul is content whether he has a little or a lot because he has Jesus. That's still true if you're a student, right? Your contentment now as a student and in the future as a worker is always going to be Jesus. Uh, let's think about the next point, uh, the Philippians' generosity. The first sub-point here was that the Philippians' financial giving to Paul is credited to them. As they give to Paul, the Philippians grow in their spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness. That's still true if you're a student. Think about the next few points. Financial giving supplies gospel workers with what they need, still true if you're a student. Financial giving, it pleases God, still true as a student. And it's safe to do so because we have a Heavenly Father who loves to give us what we need. It's true if you're a student. In fact, all those things are still true for students who live on student allowances, who have uh, low income, kind of part-time jobs or money from uh, mum and dad. Really, the only difference between being a student and being a worker is that the typical kind of student income, well, it's pretty small and so you actually don't have a lot of resources to give to the work of the gospel. And you might say, yes, Mike, but that's the whole point. I have so little resources financially to give to the work of the gospel that it's really not worth it. No, it's totally worth it because of all those things on screen. It's about being content in Jesus, totally worth it. It's about giving to the gospel in a way that spiritually grows you totally worth it. It's about supplying gospel workers with what they need and pleasing God and knowing that you can do that safely, that is totally worth it. Plus, if you're a student, bonus option, uh, it also builds into your life a pattern of faithful giving so that when you do get a job, that pattern of faithful giving already exists and when you find yourself getting paid for full-time work, the only thing you have to choose or the only thing you need to consider is making that choice of how much to give. So, back to this thing. The board game, Singaporean Dream. Uh, I often uh, find students from my church playing this board game. Uh, we just had church camp two weeks ago. Most nights, there they were, uh, playing Singaporean Dream. Do you know what I wanted to do every time I saw people from my church playing this game? Uh, it's nothing drastic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Don't think of Jesus cleansing the temple. Uh, here's what I wanted to do every time I saw uh, students in my church playing this game. I really wanted to create an expansion pack. Uh, you know what an expansion pack is? It's like extra cards that you can buy and it adds another dimension uh, to the game. And I wanted to make an expansion pack with extra cards where part of the dream becomes to financially partner with the gospel so that the gospel goes out, to see it go forth, to see people come to know Jesus that's what I wanted to do. So I want to make this expansion pack, you know, maybe we can fund it uh, tonight, you can come and see me later, but here's, here's my expansion pack. I want to make an expansion pack for this game which includes uh, cards like help fund a Bible college student or fund a church building project or give to gospel work at your local church so that the ministry that serves you and grows you in the Lord Jesus can continue to do so. And then in the extended version of this, at the end of the game, Jesus returns and 
the only investments that score in this game are investments in seeing the gospel go out and people come to know Jesus and the Lord's kingdom expand. That's the expansion pack I want to make. But I'm not going to do it because no one will buy it. I know that no one will buy that expansion pack because that is not the Singaporean dream. It's not the Australian dream. It's not the American dream. It's not the Chinese dream. But that is the Philippian dream. That's the Philippian dream. And so when they hear that Paul is in prison and they know where he is, they pounce on their dream. They gather up the money they can, they get it to Epaphroditus, they get him on a donkey in a boat, they get him all the way to Rome just to give that money to Paul. That is the Philippian dream. That he might have enough money to see the gospel keep going out and people coming to the Lord Jesus. That's the Philippian dream. Is that our dream? Or are we just playing the original version of that board game without the expansion pack? The Philippian dream, let me tell you, it is an awesome dream. The Philippian dream is an awesome life. It is a life of contentment. It is a life of gospel generosity that keeps crediting them spiritually. It supplies gospel workers with what they need. It's a life that pleases God and it's safe to do all that. That is the Philippian dream. And that's Paul's dream for every Christian, including us here in St. Matthew's. Why don't we spend some time praying about that as we close the book of Philippians. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we close our time in Philippians, we ask that you would be at work in us to shape us by the things that we have been learning this semester on Sundays. Please help us live lives that are worthy of the gospel, to in humility consider others better than ourselves, to know what it means to believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in light of tonight's passage, we pray that you'd be at work in us to make us content in Christ. May that contentment well up in a generous life that loves to give, especially loves to give so that others might hear the goodness of the gospel and be saved. God, make us content and generous followers of Jesus who dream of partnering with the work of the gospel so that people might be saved and that you might be glorified and that we might have treasure in heaven as we hear you say, well done, good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.